Good morning, everybody. Praise the Lord. Okay. Good to see everybody here this morning. Uh, we had the 9 o'clock service uh, this morning, and there were, well, actually three. Three people, which is very intimidating for everybody because everything that I have to say is obviously bearing right down on this poor couple um, and one person sitting in the back. So kind of disconcerting. I just was, you know, where is everybody? Is everybody uh, out putting their tailgating stuff together or whatever? But um, it's just, it is what it is. But I'm happy to see you here this morning. Nice to have Nice crowd. It's unfortunate to watch everybody kind of dribble out, but we're going to get, we're going to stay with the theme that we've been with. How many are actually like taking some time really getting into this whole thing of memorizing scripture? Let me see your hand. All right. There's a couple, we got a couple, probably a couple of liars out there, but you know, it's not, it isn't really a good thing to lie in church. You know, it's not a good thing to lie anyway, but lying in church. Yeah. You're asking for problems. You know, ceilings, ceiling tiles could fall out of the ceiling, fall down and, you know, and you'd be smitten. Anyway, so um, today we're going to kind of take some of the um, information that we've been looking at over the last little while, particularly this whole idea of the importance of committing to memory uh, the Word of God. We're going to give kind of a very practical message, very, very practical message on how to actually activate the power of God's Word in our life. Activating the power of the Word of God. That's what it's for. In other words, the, the Bible is for more than just to, to make us more intelligent or give us more stuff to think about or add another philosophy. Uh, are they torturing children back there again? I hate when they do that. Okay. Um, if you're going to torture children, please do it someplace quietly. That's all we ask. Have, so, have some respect. Anyway, <clears throat> so activating the power of the Lord. Over the last few weeks, we've been emphasizing, of course, the importance of memorizing the Word of God, and we've been looking at a number of different Scripture passages which uh, strongly underscore and emphasize the, the critical role that having the Word of God in our mind, in our heart, in our life, like actually in our, in our awareness, plays in our lives. So we looked at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Now, I'll put it up there, but I'm sure that no one needs that because you got that one nailed down a couple weeks ago. But let's do it and we'll quote it together, shall we? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay, that was the first one that we worked on for a while, and that was our memory passage, I think, for January. And that's just a great one to have, like, tucked away. And you'll note that it doesn't specifically say that, you know, you have your mind renewed by memorizing the Word of God. Of course, the people that he was talking to at the time didn't have Bibles like you and I have. You know, do you know that, um, I think it's 87%, 87% of Americans own a Bible. Okay, 87% of Americans own a Bible. Um, as a matter of fact, of the 87% that own a Bible, the average among them is they own three Bibles. Okay, but many times that Bible is, my, my dad used to sing this old country song, Dust on the Bible, 
dust on God's holy word. It's the saying of the prophets and the teaching of our Lord. When I asked them for the Bible, and they brought it, what a shame. The dust was covered or so thick, not a fingerprint was plain. Dust on the Bible, dust on God's holy. He used to like to sing that song, and unfortunately that kind of is what sometimes happened, not to you, of course, but to some people who happen to own one of their three or five or however many Bibles that they happen to have in their home. But the Bible can just be kind of a relic, kind of an icon, something that sits around collecting dust and not um, actually producing the kind of transformation. That's what that passage right there is all about, right? That you present yourself um, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of service and be no longer conformed to this world. The antidote to being conformed to this world. And of course, the idea of being conformed to this world, I've said the Greek says, talks about being pressed into the mold. The world has the effect to want to make, to kind of um, have a top-down, stultifying influence to get us to conform and be like everybody else. And there's just something in us that doesn't want to be weird or doesn't want to be different by, you know what I mean, we don't want to stand out in some kind of a strange way. So we're very... Um, we are very subject to that, that pressure that's coming from all different areas. But, um, we don't, but God says, don't become conformed to this world. Why not? Because all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away and the lust thereof, but whoever does the will of God will abide forever. So if we become conformed to this world, then we, we wind up taking on the characteristics, we take upon the nature of this world, and that is um, absolutely contrary to what it is that God has for us personally in our life. And so the antidote to being conformed to this world is to um, have our minds renewed. Okay, how is that supposed to happen? Well, he didn't write in this particular passage that it happened by memorizing the Word of God because they didn't have the Word of God around and wasn't at anybody's access. They didn't have, you know, three Bibles sitting. There weren't any Bibles. Nobody had them. But they, were, they gave tremendous attention to, um, to the preaching and to the teaching and to the messages that were coming into their life. They were very careful to be a part of church and part of every teaching situation, just like you ought to be. When it comes to all the things, I think there was a slide that Jewel put up before. We have Wednesday night Bible study, men's Bible study, ladies' Bible study. Can't tell you how rich that is, honest. I mean, it is really life-giving. It's enjoyable. You get it. Um, it's not like this kind of a setting where I just get up and talk and do all the talking. It's a, you know, we open up some passage of Scripture. Like right now, we're show, I'm showing a series of video, videos by R.C. Sproul, and we're talking about the last days according to the words of Jesus, okay? What did Jesus say we should expect in the last days? So our whole theme is about eschatology, the study of the last things. That, of course, is usually a pretty interesting topic for most of us. But this study happens to avoid many of the bunny trails that come into that study because it's easy to be all over the map on that and just refines the whole thing down to what did Jesus say? Uh, you will really be blessed and really enjoy. And Jules doing something from the book of Revelation as well. Um, so if, um, unless you've got something more important to do on Wednesday night, um, I would, I, I'd take some time to get out and, uh, get your face in the word of God because the antidote to being conformed to this world is to have our minds renewed by the spirit of God, by the word of God, that we may test 
and prove what is the will of God, the good, excellent, perfect will of God. So there must be some means by which our mind is renewed, and I would say that uh, it's implied that um, they were feasting on or digging into or marinating in or soaking in as much of the Word as they could, as much of the Word as was available to them. Over the last few weeks, we've been kind of majoring and emphasizing, looking at the the story of Joshua, um, who finds himself poised at a very, very critical moment in Israel's history. He's like standing right between the promise, which was given 500 years prior, and the fulfillment, which is going to happen through him and through his ministry. So for 500 years, this promise has been hanging. It's a promise that God made to Abram. Abram, get up. Get away from this place. Get away from your family. Go to a land that I will show you. I'll make your name great. I'll make you the father of a great nation. I'll make you a father of all kinds of nations. And I will bless everybody that blesses you. And I'll curse everybody that curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. All of this was the promise of God set out before him on the basis of him doing one thing getting up and going, believing God first. And that really becomes the whole story of Abram. Like last week, we talked about Moses being a type of the law. Abram is a type of faith. He's a man of faith. He's kind of the the archetype of the man of faith. And and, um, his unique spot in Scripture is that he believes God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. That's a really, really, really important statement because throughout Scripture, and really just for for a person who's a, a thinking person, the question arises, how can a human being be declared righteous before God? Let's face it. We all know what we are, and righteous isn't it. Okay, now hopefully there's an improvement, there's some increase in a, an attitude of righteousness, so it's not as though we will continue to live in bitterness and squalor and sin and debauchery and, you know what I mean, self-destruction, things like that. It's, but all that stuff is in us, right? Um, I was asking those guys, all that stuff is in us, right? Anybody wake over on this side? Okay, right? In other words, that's what we're dealing with is a nature that, got, that like just goes off the rails without even trying. And so it's necessary for us to put something in there that kind of prop, that, that builds up this new nature so that we don't get hijacked and waylaid and train wrecked by the old wayward nature that's, that's in us. So, um, so God gives this promise. Abraham believes it again and the, the whole... The significant aspect of the life of Abraham, or Abram, his name changes along the way, is that he believes God and it is accounted to him for righteousness. In other words, when he believed God and he got his posse together and he loaded up his camels and loaded up the tents and loaded all the stuff and said, we're out of here, and took off to a place that he didn't even know where he was going. God just said, I'll, I'll let you know when you're there. And, but he believed God and he did it. And so, it's, and so the scripture is very clear that it was accounted or attributed to him for righteousness. Righteousness is attainable by no other means. We don't have the capacity within ourselves to attain a righteous status before God because there's in us, like the scripture says, all our righteousness is like filthy rags. So even the good stuff that we do is always tainted to some degree by some measure of self-interest we're self-serving. There's always that bit of a corruption in anything we do. 
And so that's why we never really achieve a status where God can't say, oh, Pastor Steve, have you seen how righteous this guy is? Huh? Everybody watching this, right? Talking to the council of heaven up there. No, that doesn't happen. Well, he did say that about Job, right? But, and then, then Job had to go through the ringer a couple of times as well. So Abram achieves a status. In other words, God says of, of Abram, you, I declare you to be a righteous man because you believed me. Righteousness comes through faith. So we're, we're looking at Joshua. The promise is made. 500 years has gone by since that promise is made to Abram. It's trickled down through the lore of the Jewish people. It's probably spoken from time to time. Somebody probably wrote a song. They probably had a Jenny Zaloom somewhere in there, you know, in, in, the, in the fellowship. And she was like knocking out songs about Abram and, you know, you know get away from your family and from your country. But yeah, I just gave you another job, Jen. Got another, got another number to work on there. But anyway, um, finally, the, the promise is codified in the writings of Moses, who writes the first five books of the Bible. But now Joshua is standing right at the point where all of this that God has promised is about to happen. He's ready to go. He's ready to bring those people into the land of promise. And he has, the, he has need for one thing more than anything else in his life. Now, you can imagine if you're trying to establish a people. You have, you have a group of people that 40 years earlier came out of 230 years of slavery. So they're not really a well-developed, well-organized people. They're pretty ragtag and still trying to find out who they are. Okay, and now his job is to bring them into the land of Canaan and prepare them to be able um, to take that land because God promised that land to them. So the one thing he needs more than anything else is faith, abiding, unwerving, unswavering, un unwavering faith um, because seeing this promise to be fulfilled isn't going to be easy. That's the thing. It's not, it, he won't be able to just kind of sit back in a tent somewhere and hope that it happens and play cards with somebody. It, he's, he is going to face a good deal of opposition if to, in order to um, fulfill the call of God in his life and to see this promise um, fulfilled for the Jewish people. It's not going to happen if he just sits around and just, if they just talk about it. They're going to have to go in. They're going to have to walk over that Jordan. They're going to have to go into the land of promise, and they're going to have to start taking what God has promised to them. And so to prepare Joshua, God focused the whole deal and gives him one primary directive. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. And here it is. Nope, there it isn't. There. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate on it day and night that you may observe to do all that is written in it for then you will make your way prosperous then you will have good success so one primary thing and and the reason he needed to have his face in the book in the books of Moses was because what the, uh, they didn't know this yet but this is what it, we learn in the new testament so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of god so as, he is being, as he's being attentive, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate it in it day and night that you may observe to do uh, what is written therein, for in this way you will um, you make your way prosperous, and so you will have good success. The whole thing was relying, was contingent upon him 
being in contact with God, allowing God's word to speak into his life because as God's word spoke into his life, he would then become this person who he needs to be, only be strong and very courageous, right? He's going to have to be tough. He's going to have to be wise. He's going to have to be careful. He's going to have to, he's going to, have to um, take on the responsibility of leading these people into the land of promise. He's got a big job and the one thing he needs, and I just, I would like to say this to you. I we all have jobs, we have careers, we have families, all kinds of things that are going on in our life. But there is also the will of God for your life. I hope you believe it. Because if you don't believe it, you'll never find it. We'll talk about that a little more this morning. If you don't believe that, um, it will never happen. It isn't just going to take you by surprise one day and all of a sudden you're going to find It is by believing it that we enter into it. But the process of believing has a whole preparatory aspect before the thing can actually be brought into our lives, before it's brought to pass. So the, the, the entire preparatory work has to do with this kind of spade work in which you're just putting in the word, putting in the word, putting in the word, more word. And that's what prepares us to be able to, first of all, to discern this thing, to even know what it might be, right? Um, and it might be something that's, um, it, it might be a, a bona fide ministry, which reminds me, Oh, shameless plug. Man, is this an opportunity for a shameless plug. On Wednesday night, let me jump on you a little bit. On Wednesday night, we have a whole group of young people um, that really, I'm talking about like toddlers, kids that are uh, still in, well, I guess they're like, where's Jewel? I think they're up to three or four years old, right? But um, we, we almost never have somebody who will actually take on that resp- responsibility and watch them. Now, I'll realize that, like, maybe that's not the most desirable ministry. But it's easier than some ministries. But we need somebody to do that, okay? And I know it's been announced, been announced. But I want, I I would like somebody or everybody in this congregation to actually ask the Lord, hey, could I do that? Now, I don't, you wouldn't have to do it every week. I'm sure we can find a way to. But right now, it's just kind of a big gaping hole, and it prevents certain people from being able to come to church and come to the Bible study because they have little children and they're going to be in the nursery. So we have thought about this. We've, We've talked about it a zillion times, but we need somebody. So maybe there's a great opportunity right there for you to uh, enter into the service of the Lord. Amen? (laughs) So you pray about that. Thank you. Thank you. Preach it, Pastor Steve. Okay. So so anyway, getting back to the message for this morning, what Joshua, um, what he's instructed in is basically the same thing that Paul is writing in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, when he says, so then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And so Joshua, every day, every day he's in that Pentateuch, he's in the word of God, he's in the law of Moses, he's got his, it is his full tilt attention. So why are we taking so much time to emphasize this? Well, because God wants us to experience the power of faith in his word. That it is, it, this is something that is supposed to actually produce some fruit. It will have a dynamic impact and an effect on our life to the degree that we, um, we allow God to work through this. So it's, it's, it's more than uh, just learning a few facts or getting some new information from the Bible. Um, we can actually experience God's power manifested because this is the process by which he works. He starts with a promise. He starts with his word. His word 
triggers something on the inside. It ignites faith. Faith comes alive and then faith gets watered more and more by the Word of God until then God has prepared us and God has prepared the situation. I can, t- I can tell you that there were things that God spoke to me in December of 1988. Okay, so I was a 10-year-old believer at that time. I was the principal of the Christian school. We had started in 82. Um, we had had to... Um, we, we originally started with one th- grades K through nine, then it went to 10, 11, 12. Um, I always enjoyed the high schoolers, and we, but then we had some issues that came along, and so we decided uh, we're, 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 pros- we're probably biting off more than we can chew here. So um, we're probably going to have to cut this thing back down to elementary grades, right? So the, in, I think, 87 or 88, we decided to do that. And I went from being a, stu- a teacher um, of high school subjects down to junior high, and that's just awful. <laughs> that is just an awful place to be. So, no, no, it's not? Okay, that's why we're, you know, different strokes for different folks, right? Because you love that, that age group? That, I mean, it's just such, it's such a weird clunky, you know, <laughs> You know, time in, in kids' life, you know what I mean? Where, you know, all of the most vulgar and ridiculous things are the funniest things and everybody's just, you know. And so, it, like, so we, I got to the, uh, December of 88 and I just remember, like, asking the Lord, like, is this, is this it? Like, is this the abundant life that I was um, anticipating? Because it just didn't seem like um, it met that criteria. And, and then in two successive nights, God spoke to me. Uh, in two different passages of Scripture. I had no clue, at particularly about, oh, really about either of them. I, like, I had the strongest sense that God had, like, brought those things. Rhema, the kind of rhema word. The Rhema is the word that goes forth out of God's mouth, right? There's, there's logos, which is the word that is in the Bible, the printed word, right? The codified word. Um, that's that word logos is translated, translated word. In the beginning was the logos, and logos was with God, and the logos was God. So logos is translated word. But there's also a Greek word called rhema, and rhema is more than just the word as it's sitting in the book. It is the word spoken by God. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word spoken by the mouth of God, right? Deuteronomy. So that whole idea that there are times when God will just kind of speak something into our life, and you have a sense that like, wow, God is... God has spoken to me through that thing. I wonder what it means. And, and, and I'll, I'll tell you what, I had no clue what any of it meant probably for 25 years. And I, I, I thought I did, and try, but it, it never was fulfilled. And then little by little, um, aspects of those passages of Scripture just began to like show up, and it really blew me away. So I'm only telling you that because this thing isn't like you know, a one-armed band, you pull the handle and out it comes. You believe God and five minutes later you got the result of your faith. It's a prep work that God does. He'll sow something into your life. But it's not for today and it, maybe it's not for tomorrow. It's maybe 20 years down the road. But um, the best thing that any one of us can do is enter into it and embrace it by faith. <clears throat> so, um, God wants us to experience His power being manifested through the Word of God, which resides in us, which then becomes the motivational force, which, which leads us and directs us into the center of what it is that He has for us. Um, so this will happen if we follow the process by which God works. But for many of us, we believe the Bible is true, but we've yet to ever see 
the, it actively working in our life. We're always hoping that it will work, but we've uh, not ever really seen it actively manifested. Um, but the power of God is not always manifested in the kinds of things that we think the power of God is supposed to be manifesting, okay? So Paul, right now, again, we're thinking blind eyes open, you know, deaf people healed and hearing, and, you know, these, these kind of wild supernatural things. But when Paul writes about the power of God to the people in Rome, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, then also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Um, as it is written, the, the righteous one shall live by faith. So, the, so this whole thing of the power of God, you're at the moment right now, if you're saved, if you're born of the Spirit, you are a manifestation of the power of God. Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And the very fact that you kind of snapped out of your spiritual um, debt, I don't know, your spiritual emptiness or dryness or uselessness, you, you were spiritually dead like it says in Ephesians chapter 2, and then one day all of this began to make sense and all of this began to, um, you, you began to see how like all of this was real. And so that kind of motivates, oh, I'll dig in a little bit more, I'll dig in a little bit more, let me see what, that, that's the process. It starts with a little seed getting planted. So anyway, um, God wants us to, to, uh, to be able to move into the activation of our faith by um, getting on board the Word of God. Now, here's the key thing for this first portion of the message. Here's a big question. Did you know that the effectiveness of the Word of God in your life is up to you? Did you know that the effectiveness of the Word of God in your life is up to you? That's absolutely true. Not its truthfulness, okay? The Word of God is true. It will always be true. It has always been true. It will be true whether you or I or anybody in this world believes that the Word of God is true. But its effectiveness in your life is up to you. And we'll see that um, this morning and how that process unfolds uh, through a number of scripture passages that we're going to look at here today. Here's the first one. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13, Paul writes this. He says, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. Okay? So he's saying, what I preached to you, you received it, but you didn't receive it as though I was some guy coming down the road with some new thing, new philosophy to talk about. You understood that what I was bringing to you was in fact the word of God. It's meant to actively, effectively work in the life of a believer. It is meant to produce results. That's for real. The word of God is meant to produce results. So this leads to a question. Do you believe? Are you a believer? Now I think I know everybody well enough, pretty much everybody here, that I'm sure that most people would say yes. Yes, I'm a believer. 
Um, because, and if you do believe, then the Word of God is designed to be in you an active agent of transformation that, you may te- that by testing you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. This is how all these passages of Scripture start coming together. At first, it's just kind of like various random scattered thoughts and things that don't necessarily like connect and line up but the more of this you get in your like in your craw the more of this you get in between your ears the more it it starts to um it starts to show that it is all incredibly neatly and profoundly integrated with itself it does not contradict itself at all if anything the bible supports itself and interprets itself and um, and is able to clearly present its one singular message, and that one singular message is that God is working his dead-level best to try to bring us into a place of redemption. God is desperately trying to save us, again, <laughs> and, and has done everything that he can possibly do to make that possible. There's nothing more that he could have done. There's nothing, and nothing in addition that he could have done to, to sending his son, our Lord Jesus, to give his life as a sacrifice on our behalf in the cross, uh, uh, at the cross. So the most important thing, if we believe, then it's important to understand that the word of God then is designed to be the transforming agent that will, um, that, that will affect God's purpose and will in our life. On the other hand, if you don't believe it, then it will not actively be at work in you. Right? Both things are true. If you are a believer, it will be actively at work in you. If you are not a believer, it will not be active and working in your life. And one of the central concepts that underscores this whole idea is found in the teaching of Jesus in Matthew chapter 9. Here's what Jesus said uh, in the midst of an exchange with some people who had come to him uh, for healing. He said, according to your faith, it will be done to you. You read that? Now, I know I know that some of these things, I mean, this is not a perfect science. There have been things that I thought, man, I got this thing nailed down. I believe I have faith. Not always. There have been times I've just been dead wrong. And times that I just wasn't sure. And times that I was terribly inaccurate. And either way ahead or way behind. I don't know. So I understand that what I'm saying to you is not like a simple little cookie cutter. It works everywhere. But the idea is that Jesus says that what prepares you to be able to interact with God and with the entire supernatural realm is our faith. Right? He says this, it will be done unto you according to your faith. And so um, that's kind of the process by which God works. The Word of God is at work in those who believe, but it is not in work, at work in those who do not believe. But according to your faith, it will be done to you. So here's the thing. You get to choose how effective the Word of God will be in your life. Now, I know the Calvinists are probably struggling with this among us because the Calvinists just don't believe that we choose anything. It's just all... God, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be stupid or funny or whatever. I'm just saying that Calvinism or people who have that point of view believe that everything is God and we just, and we just somehow, you know, it just happens to us. And, and, and it's true, but there is some kind of a process by which 
This whole thing works together. It's like I was saying about Joshua last week. Joshua didn't, he had no idea he was going to be a big star in the Bible. He didn't even know who he was. He was just part of some group of people who used to be slaves who come out of Egypt and they're just trying to find their way. And they, uh, they've got leadership that's coming from God and they're just trying to, to get it right. But um, he's, he's kind of, he, he's out uh, like on, he's out like, in a, what is the word? He's, he's out on the limb somewhere. Okay, but there, he doesn't know that what he's doing is actually something that is going to prefigure or foretype something that is going to happen 1,500 years later. He has no idea about any of that. He's just doing what seems to be the right thing next. And that's our life too. As we kind of go through this life and we just do the next thing, you don't realize, we often don't realize, we're like people walking around with a blindfold on. We're just not perceiving, we're not seeing that God is in the process of preparing us to do something great. And then we, get, then we start to lose our faith and then we get a little frustrated and we get a little disappointed, disappointed, or we somehow don't get everything right or we somehow you know, fall back into a habit or something that, that was a, a problem to begin with and we just feel like, ah, I, can't, I, I just can't seem to get this right. And we give up, throw in the towel. But it's important for us and this whole idea of it will be done to us according to our faith is essential. So you get to choose how much God will bless your life. You get to choose how much God will strengthen your life. You get to choose how much courage you will have. You get to choose how much God will use your life for his glory. Right? In other words, I, I, I can't be ambivalent about this. Right? I, I can't just, well, if God, if, if God wants to use me, he knows where I am. Yeah. Okay. So anyway... The Word of God is at work in those who believe, but it is equally true that the Word of God is not at work in those who do not believe. Here's what the writer of Hebrews, we've kind of checked out this verse a couple of times because it pertains very much to the whole story of the Exodus and what happened in the life of, um, of Joshua. But in Hebrews chapter 2, it's phrased this way, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, and he's referring to the people 1,500 years earlier. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. So that whole generation, because they would not apply faith to the things that they were hearing, all of it was useless to them. All of it was unproductive for them. <clears throat> it had no value. Those who heard it did not mix it with faith. Here's what the living, here's how the, the living Bible uh, presents that it says, but it didn't do them any good because they didn't believe it. They didn't mix it with faith. So the, the starting point of everything is to be attentive to the word of God, but it's important that I am attentive in more than just a purely um, like in a, ha in a half-hearted way, but it is impo it's important that I'm, um, that I'm mixing what word I'm getting with faith. I'm believing it. So how do we actually do this? So all these things are nice things to talk about, perfect, sound great in church, but how do we actually get practical with this? How do we combine the word of God with faith? Well, it has everything to do with the choices that we make. So we're going to talk about four choices that um, we need to make in order to activate the power of the word of God in our lives. <clears throat> okay. Here's number one. Now, this is a great mystery. I'm letting you in on this. Um, 
don't tell anybody because I don't want this to get out. That way I can hit everybody up for my series somewhere down the road for like $275 or something like that. Now, this is, this is a, a, most people don't know this, but you will know this today and you will be blessed because of it. Your faith releases the power of God's word in your life. That's really what, what I, that isn't what I was really going to go for. God's making me look stupid. Okay, here we go. Come on, God. It's not the first time, believe me. Here's how do, you, how do we actually um, activate the word of God in our life? Number one, choose to read it. Right? Now, is that silly? Right? Choose to read it. It sounds obvious. Maybe it sounds silly, but you have to choose to read it. That's why God gave it. The word of God cannot work in you if the word is not in you. It's kind of like a, a perfect analogy would be you're, you're not feeling well, so you go see your doctor. The doctor prescribes for you some medication. You go to the pharmacy, you pick up the medication, you bring it home, you put it on your nightstand or in your medicine cabinet, and then you never take it. And you just wonder, why, why am I not getting any better here? Well, because you were prescribed some medication and, and you just will not take it and it sits in your nightstand or it sits in your medicine cabinet and it's not doing you any good because you're just not taking the medication. That's the same thing with the Word of God. It can't do you any good if you do not um, imbibe the Word of God. Notice what the psalmist said in Psalm 119. Psalm 19 is all about the importance of the Word of God. Psalm 19 is an acrostic that was um, put together in order to teach young Hebrew children the alphabet and how to read and write. And so it's, the first one is Aleph, Beth, Gimel, Daleth. So every, everything is in a section. So it's kind of like our New England primer, right? The New England primer were all verses of Scripture that started with the same letter A, you know, um, I, I, I forgot what they are at this point. But th that's how they educated their young people uh, by teaching them the letter and then all kinds of Bible verses to follow it, to underscore and kind of put that letter in there. Well, that's what Psalm 119 is for the Jewish people. Notice um, what, he, uh, what, is, what he says there in that passage of Scripture. He says, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. And a little ver few verses later, I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not neglect your word. So if we want victory over sinful habits, problems. Um, we have to make a decision to actually take time to import God's word. You, you, you do it by choosing to read it, even if it's only a small portion a day. You know, I think I can probably remove some guilt from a few lives here this morning. Um, nowhere in the Bible, anywhere that I'm aware of, does it say it is necessary to read through your Bible in one year. Now, probably there's a whole bunch of people who just said, oh, good, I felt so bad about this. I promised God last year or the year before and the year before and the year before that I was going to read through. And I got about like a week into that, and then it kind of went down in flames. <laughs> okay, and, and it's, it's just common. But God never says, you, you must read my word every year, start it all over again in Genesis and, and, and press on through, right? Again, probably most of us have tried that, and then you get bogged down somewhere. But what is important is that, we, that the time that we actually have to read the Word becomes quality time. 
that it's thoughtful time, that it's time that we really are just, we are allowing that word, whether it's one verse, which can be utterly sufficient, or one chapter or one paragraph or one psalm, it could be the same psalm every day. That's not a bad idea. Just to actually like, because it's, you'll see it starts speaking to you. It's like you, you know it when you first learn it and it says something to you, but then after you've known it for two years, three years, five years, it's like, wow, it's, it's saying more to me. It's not, not saying what it was originally saying, but now it's saying even more to me. And this is how God's word kind of like, kind of blossoms and flourishes and bears fruit uh, in our life. So all we have to do is just read it. It's like eating. You know, every meal it does not have to be a five-course white tablecloth, all of the various, um, you know, right spoons, saucers, dishes, and candlesticks on the table. Very rarely. That's a nice thing. Uh, when it happens, we can all appreciate it. But that's not what everyday meals are like, right? Usually it's just something that you ripped out, put on a paper plate, threw it in the microwave, let it, let it go for about like 45 seconds, and then threw it on the table and gobbled it down. Hopefully with a little bit of thank you before you actually... Um, went about devouring it. But sometimes you're going out the door and the, you only got time for a bagel, right? So you get dressed real quick, boom, I got to go. You grab a bagel. That's how you eat. But if, if you didn't eat one day enough stuff to eat, it doesn't mean, well, you know, I didn't eat yesterday, so I'm just never going to eat again. <laughs> right? Now that's what happens, right? So silly little things like that. Like, I, mean, I missed, I missed my... 45 minutes, one hour, read Bible reading with God. So like, well, no sense in me doing that anymore, right? There would be just like that, you know? No, I, I guess there's just no sense in me ever having a meal ever again in my life. No, it doesn't work that way. So the key is use whatever time you have, slow down, get the word into you, and know that Sunday is, is not enough. Now, on Sunday, you know, like I'm kind of, I'm feeding, I'm serving it up, ladle it up, throw some out, you know, another one. You know, and, and, I, and I know you come, and I, I, I appreciate the attentiveness, I really do. I appreciate, you know, j- just the spirit that's in all of this and the, the warmth that's in it. And I, I, I feel like you do, you're at least doing a pretty good job of making it look like you're listening to me with interest. So that I appreciate as well. It's very, I'll tell you, it's very, um, it's very disturbing when, uh, when you're preaching. There used to be one guy uh, in church, and this used to happen like every Sunday. And I'd be preaching, and he'd be sitting about four rows back going, And it kind of makes you feel like, gee, am I, am I keeping you up? <laughs> right? But by and large, I appreciate the attentiveness um, that, uh, that you uh, give to the things that, that we're uh, talking about. But anyway, <clears throat> the key is use whatever time you have. Slow down. If it's a verse, if it's a couple of, a couple of verses, if, whatever it may happen to be, just give it that kind of uh, attention that it deserves. Now, before I was telling you that 90% of Americans have a Bible, right? But having a Bible at home and not reading your Bible is like having a car in your garage and not driving one, right? So someone might, might say to you, you know, do you have a car? Oh, yeah, yeah, I have a car. Um, what, what kind of car is it? Oh, it's this or that or the other mile. How fast does it go? You know, I'm, I'm really not sure. Um, what kind of mileage do you get in that car? Uh, I, have, I have no clue. How does it handle? Um... I don't know, I've never driven it, right? That would just be like so absurd, right? How long have you owned this car? Well, we've had it for about 
25 years. Matter of fact, it's been in the family like for generations now at this point. All right, you get the, right, you get the point. So anyway, having a Bible but not reading is like having a car but not driving it. Here's what Jesus says. I think I have this one up there. Yes, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. To abide means to live continuously in something, right? If you abide in a home, that's where you live. That's where you spend your life. You abide in that particular, you abide in that abode, right? Even the, the, it's, it's kind of the, the word gets used in that way. And Jesus teaches us all about what abiding means in John chapter 15 when he talks about the vine and the branches. I am the true vine. My father's the vine dresser. He goes on with, you know, every branch of me that bears no fruit, he takes it out. But every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it more fruitful. You've already been pruned. I am the, I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. The idea of abiding is illustrated by a, a vine, vine and branches, right? The vine is growing, and off the vine come these little um, shoots, these little branches, and then if those branches remain connected to the vine, inevitably once a year they start producing some fruit, and grapes come and all this stuff, but it all happens quite naturally just simply because the, of the ongoing connection. And Jesus says to these people in John chapter 8, if you, if you abide in me, if you remain, if you abide in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. And then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But you cannot know the truth. You, you cannot possibly know the truth if you don't abide in the word. Because the word is what reveals the truth. And so, um, you know, that's okay that's the first thing i need to move along here a little bit so if you abide in my words you are my disciples indeed number one not only should you choose must you choose to read it you must also choose to believe it now again it's i I realize that all this stuff is like so fundamental that maybe just seems um you know unnecessary but choosing to believe it is is essential you can read without believing but you can't believe without reading because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith is a choice. Faith is a decision. Faith is choosing to believe that what God says is true. Here again is Psalm um, 119. He says, I have chosen the way of truth. I have chosen the way of truth. Your judgments I have laid before me. <clears throat> you choose to believe because you have discovered that the one that you are believing is himself truthful. Okay, that's what motivates faith because the God who has given this book, the God who has given us this information has demonstrated that he is faithful and true in every way. So here's what Paul could write in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. It's already up there, yeah. He says, For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Notice that Paul says, or he doesn't say, For I know what I have believed. That would kind of be the that would be the naturally expected thing to say. He's not saying that. I know what I believe. He says, I know who I believe. And because I know him, then I know that his word is faithful and reliable and trustworthy, and I can depend upon him. I know whom I have believed, because he has walked me down this thing time in and time out. He's brought me out of this jam and that trouble and that problem. He brought me out of like being complete 
erroneous and completely errant in my whole understanding of who he was and brought me into this position of being the, the loudest mouthpiece on planet earth to be able to proclaim the gospel. <clears throat> Amazing. So he, Paul had come to that intimate reality of knowing God and, and that knowledge um, is what persuaded him that he could trust in God. The most, one of, maybe one of the most famous passages in scripture, another one that ought to be on your list of memory passages is this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Other translations say he will make your path straight. Faith is choosing to believe that the one who has spoken his word is truthful, and it's not always easy to believe. Sometimes there'll be people all around you that are challenging your faith. Are you serious? You actually believe that? Right? That's how people in our world are reacting to you if you happen to say that you're a believer in Jesus, that Jesus is virgin born or raised from the dead or all of that. You, know, you actually believe that stuff. There, there's always um, challenges to believing, <clears throat> but you make the choice to believe on the basis that God is trustworthy. You combine the word with faith by choosing to, that, to believe that what God has said is faithful and true. And you may say, well, I have so many doubts. Pastor Steve, I'm so, so troubled with doubts. Yeah, you and everybody else. It kind of comes with the territory. That's why faith is something that God prizes and rewards. That's why he rewarded Abraham's faith, because everybody has doubts. It's just natural. But here's a good way to think about that. I, re I read or, or heard somewhere along the line, I think I put it out of the, when we used to have a marquee out on our board, that said, <clears throat> feed your faith, and your doubts will starve to death. Try that, right? Feed your faith, and your doubts will starve to death. So doubt is just the other side of the coin. It's going to always be there. I, I will always have to, I, I will always be challenged by it, but I have the antidote. I can go back into the Word of God because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And so I can just pull, open it up. There you go, Scott. I just open up that book and I can just, ah, man, I can get up. I can get pumped up with new faith, with fresh faith, because it's right there in the book for me to get. Are you with me this morning? Amen. Amen. Okay, we got to take this home. Okay, number three is, uh, is another step. So first I got to choose to read it, then I got to choose to believe it. But third, I have to choose to declare it. Okay, it's important to actually speak it. Right, here's what Jesus says. For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mountain, you can say to this mustard seed. What, did I get that wrong? That's the way we like to think, right? That you need to have mountain faith in order to move the mustard seed. No, you need to have mustard seed faith. And according to what Jesus says, the mustard seed faith will move the mountain. It's just a matter of using what I got, not worrying about what I don't have. It's applying what faith I now have to the situation as it now is, believing that God wants it right. God wants everything on this planet to be right. God wants everything in every human life to be right. And, and it's a big project, okay? And it, it, he started it all with this work of redemption and forgiveness and, and the new birth drawing us into his fellowship and into his family. He, he wants everything to be made right. 
But sometimes things being made right requires the uncertain cooperation of other people. So we may be praying about something, and God, I want you to, I'm working on it. I'm working towards it. And, and, and God is working with all the individuals, but God is working relentlessly toward, if, if in fact you and I, it says that if we understand or if we know the will of God, if we pray according to the will of God, <clears throat> he hears us and we have the things that, that, um, um, that we have asked for. Now, in saying all this and even in preparing all this, I got to tell you that like, I understand that all these things are, they're not like simple and easy. You know, when Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bring forth much fruit, right? All right, I've tried that one lots of times and it just, it's just not, it's not the one-armed band. It's not like, you know, name it, claim it, boom. But, but it's truth. It's just that there's an ad- adaptation process that's working through us and in us and other people and there's all kinds of complexities to even the simplest things that we might be praying about. But that's why we're to just continue to pray without giving up. Because our prayer will be refined over the course of time as God the Holy Spirit will begin to speak into it, give us a greater understanding, greater revelation. We may realize, oh, I really wasn't praying that quite properly. I needed to understand something more. I needed to understand something more about people. Isn't it kind of like that? It's so easy to make judgments on people. And, oh, God, would you please just... You know, like, like David's imprecatory prayers, and the, you know, break their teeth, oh God. You know? <clears throat> well, God probably said, I'm really not into breaking teeth. It, I, unless I have to. I could break some teeth. If, yeah. But it, it's not the approach that God chooses, right? And sometimes we've prayed about something, and we think that we've got a good direction for God and how it is that he ought to handle something. And it's like, and it, it might have like some elements of wisdom or truth in it, but it's just not there yet. It's just not baked. It's just not finished, right? And so there's, there's a whole process. So I understand that all these things are subject to certain variation and they're not just easy and simple, but they're true because they are in God's word. And so we need to continue to believe them and say, God, like, continue to work in me to show me the reality in this thing so I'm not just kind of throwing up some, sil- some silly and, and not well thought out thing. <clears throat> okay, so we have... so so. The third thing we need to do is choose to declare it. Speak it. He says, if you say unto this mountain, if you say unto this mountain, be removed and cast in the sea, it will be done. I've never had that happen for me quite yet, but I have faced some mountains and I've seen some mountains move. Okay, we've seen some things. I remember when we were first looking at this building, 1995, okay? We were having homeschool. I remember Stevie and Carrie and Manny were having homeschool, and we'd all kneel down in the morning by this little couch, and we were praying, and, and Dad's praying for, well, God, give us leading, give us some direction, you know, as we're looking at that building. This was a million miles away at the time. As we walk in here, it's like, wow, this is pretty cool. It was a mountain for sure. We're like a handful of people. We don't have, they, they wanted at the time $975,000, I think. We weren't even close to that congregation of maybe 30, 40 people. Thanks to my mom, we actually had a bit of a building fund because my mom came up one day and said to me, Stevie, did you ever think of, taking, of, of starting a building fund? I said, no, I never thought of that. So you see, you never know who God's going to use in the whole, anyway, I'm, I'm digressing. <clears throat> but we, we speak to things and, we, and you say to those things that are problems, that are obstacles, that you, that, you know, just are in the way. You, could, you start the whole process by speaking to it, okay? If you say unto this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, it will be done according to what you have said. And finally, 
we have to choose to act on it. That's the, the final step. Choose to act on it. Wouldn't have got Joshua anywhere. If this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, that you shall meditate in it day and night, so shall you make your way prosperous, and so shall you have good success. So just hang out here for a little while. One of these days you're going to see all, the, you're going to see all these U-holes pulling out of Canaan as all of these Jebusites, Hivites, Hittites, and all these other people decide that they're going to leave. No, it didn't quite work out that way, did it? They had to go in, and they had to prepare themselves, and they had to take it. God was saying, I'll give it to you. You just got to go get it. And that's true with pretty much any, any work of faith. It's true what God is speaking. It's just that we got to get up and go get it. So you got to prepare yourself by faith, by reading, by believing, by, um, what was the third one? I forgot. Yeah, declaring it. Thank you, Bill. And then finally, by choosing to act on it. Good? Pretty, pretty basic pretty simple. But the whole thing is meant to be kind of basic and simple. It's supposed to be easy enough for like a kid to figure this thing out. You don't have to be a philosophy student or anything like that, you know? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have given us the tools that we need. And And you've given us the tool that we need. It's just, it's simple. It is your word. Your word in us manifests power as you sow it into our lives and as you use it as a platform for us to grow in faith and in insight and wisdom. So thank you, Lord, for this time to to think about this today. And we pray as we continue to uh, place an emphasis on this matter of memorizing your word, that I I really pray that this will... this. Things will happen in in lives of individuals in our congregation that never happened before. New things will just ne- that never happened before, and and that this will be the the proof that's in the pudding that that it, this is the actual process by which you want to work through our in and through our lives. So thank you, Lord, for this word, and just pray that you will bless it to our ears, bless it to our hearts, bless it to our inner inward spirit, man, that we might be equipped to do great and mighty things in this world, that we might be equipped to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, that we might be equipped to be able to go forth and help people to find their way to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ our Lord. So, Lord, let these things be planted in us and let them bear much fruit. Pray this now in Jesus' name and for his sake. And all of God's people said, Amen.